In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. <coughs> God willing, we're going to continue studying in the book of Second Kings, chapters uh, 17 and 18 uh, today. Um, does anyone remember what we talked about last time? Last time we studied uh, 14, 15, and 16. No? Okay. Yeah, last time there was a lot of names, right? A lot of names. Yeah. Um, so in the south, okay, there was King Azariah, who was the son of Amaziah. Azariah, the, s the son of Amaziah. And Azariah had another name. Remember his other name? So that's with a U. Uzziah, right? Or Uzziah, right? So we he is mentioned in the book of Second Chronicles as well. And it says uh, about him that he was he was a very successful, like well-accomplished king uh, politically, but he was afflicted with leprosy um, later in his life because, remember why? He raised incense. He tried to take the role of the priesthood and he raised incense and so God struck him with leprosy. Okay, then after him, his son, Jotham, reigned for 16 years. And then Ahaz, his son, also reigned for 16 years. And it was during the reign of Ahaz that Isaiah the prophet gave him a sign that he would defeat his enemies. Okay, then Hezekiah becomes a king. Okay, and Hez that's where we stopped last time for the south. And then as far as the north... Um, we had reached the end of all of the kings of the north. Um, that's mentioned a little bit more in the, the chapters today. But we had reached the end. Remember the, the, the last king of the north, what was his name? No, there's one after him. But that's good that you remember that one. His name was Hosea. Hosea was the last one uh, in the north. Okay. You can see that here. Okay. In the south, Amaziah, Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. And that's where we are now, at Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of the more of the famous kings because he was one of the most righteous kings. Um, and then in the north, you can see the last king there is Hosea. Okay. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah. Okay, so this is, remember we backtrack a little bit. So here we're talking about at the time where Ahaz was the king. Hosea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. So um, he wasn't as bad as some of the previous kings. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. So what is a vassal king? What does it mean for him to be a vassal? Kind of like a... He's just a figure, like, but the actual king is the other king who's telling him what to do. Yeah, so the real king is Shalmaneser. He's the one telling Hosea what to do, but... For the sake of uh, giving Hosea some semblance of power and also keeping the peace. So Hosea would be paying this tribute money um, to Shalmaneser. And in exchange, Shalmaneser would allow him to remain to be the king. Okay? Um, this uh, king, okay, uh, uh, Shalmaneser, he is the one that came after the other king that we have mentioned before, Tiglath-Pileser, who was the Assyrian king mentioned before. Okay, um, so Shalmaneser is the king after him. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So it came that Hosea was unhappy with this arrangement, and he wanted to be liberated from the Assyrians. So what did he do? He went and contacted the king of Egypt. 
His name was So at the time. Okay? And he stopped paying the tribute. He stopped paying the money to uh, Assyria, as he had done before. And so the king of Assyria discovered that there was this conspiracy going on and that he was reaching out to Egypt. Okay, so what did he do? He took Hosea, he bound him, and he shut him up in prison. Okay? And this uh, uh, is a repeated pattern that we see actually throughout the history of Israel, that whenever Israel is oppressed, instead of seeking help from God, because you hear no one is calling out to God. No one is, is asking God for help. You know, it, it was at the time of the judges where Israel was also falling into sin and, and, and God was allowing their enemies to overcome them and so on, right? But then they would reach a point where they were reaching out to God, they were calling out on God and asking for his help, his mercy, asking for deliverance, right? But here he's not doing so. The, 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 the Israelites are not doing so. What they're doing instead is calling out for the help of the other nations, okay? Um, and, and so they reached out to Egypt. That didn't work out for them. Now the king of Assyria went through, went through all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. So all the northern kingdom of Israel is being attacked now by Assyri Assyria for three years. And remember, we said Samaria is the capital of Israel at that time. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the harbor, the river of Gozan and the cities of the Medes. Okay, so there are uh, archaeological findings of uh, inscriptions that were written in Assyria that showed that the number of captives that were taken at this time was 20, 27,290 captives and 50 chariots uh, were taken from Israel. Okay, And this was the third invasion of Israel, the third invasion of Israel. Um, the first and second ones were mentioned in 2 Kings uh, 15 in verses 19 and 29 under the kings Menahem and Pekah, under those two kings there were also attacks by Assyria to Israel but this third one is kind of like the final one the one that actually uprooted the whole nation okay and everyone was taken um, captive the first invasion was meant um, to warn Israel uh, against provoking another one so because they they wanted the tribute Assyria wanted the tribute um, and to avoid rebellion so that was the first invasion the second invasion God allowed it because the people um, didn't consider that the reason that these invasions are happening is because of the sin of the people, right? The sin of the people is what was causing these attacks and that God was not defending them and God was not protecting them. We'll see actually when we speak about Hezekiah and how because of the righteousness of Hezekiah and because of what he was doing, God protected them from the, um, from, from, from the attacks like that was coming on them. And so a big spiritual lesson that we learn from the book of Kings is that whenever we fall into corruption, whenever we live in sin, then all of the demonic attacks that come against us, it's like we have no protection, right? We have nothing protecting us. And, and whatever fiery darts that the Satan wants to fire against us, they find very easy penetration into us. Maybe the same attacks that we have been attacked with for years, and yet when we fall into sin, all that protection that God has provided for us, suddenly it, it's, it vanishes. It's not there. Like when in Ephesians chapter 6, when we talk about the armor of God, it's like the armor of God is not there, right? So the, 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 the arrows of the enemy can pierce. And this is the lesson we learn here. So this third invasion, uh, there was complete captivity. The northern kingdom comes to an end. Um, and, and one of the practices of the Assyrians is whenever they do this, they bring their own people and people from other nations to come and to dwell in that nation that was conquered to prevent uprising and rebellion. Okay, And, and this is actually where we're eventually going to get the people who are the Samaritans. Okay, The Samaritans um, that, that are mentioned in the New Testament, like the Samaritan woman. This was Samaritan woman and the Samaritans were kind of an intermixing between the remnant Jews, the remaining Jews that remained in Israel, and some of these Gentiles who were coming from Assyria um, and other places to dwell there in the land. Okay. This uh, attack 
that came upon them, this was actually warned by God hundreds of years before. Um, at the time where, where Moses was still alive, right before they were about to enter into the promised land, um, th this is when the book of Deuteronomy was written. Right? The book of Deuteronomy is, is literally means the second law, like the second telling of the law. The first law was given in the book of Exodus. Right, This is when Moses received the Ten Commandments. The Deuteronomy is like now after we have wandered in the desert for 40 years, like Exodus was before the wandering, right? And all the things that happened before they the, the, the Israelites wandered in the desert. After the wandering, now they're at the border of the promised land and Moses is about to die and he is recounting to the people what is God's law so that when they enter into the promised land, they will keep the law and they will not fall away from God. They will not intermix with the Gentiles, they will not uh, worship idols, and all these things, okay? So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he, he said, uh, he's speaking about what will happen, it's like a warning, saying what will happen if they do not obey God? What will happen if they go and enter the promised land and do not obey God and they worship idols? This is what he says will happen. He says, this is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 64 and 65. He says, then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. So the warning that um, God had given to the people from the beginning was, of course, with great foresight, course knowing the struggles and the, the sin that the people will commit but again we can look at this from the spiritual perspective what happens to the person who lets their guard down spiritually what are these gods of wood and stone that the people are going to serve it is like the thing that i allow myself to be corrupted with becomes a master to me so for instance a person who um, becomes very distressed about something in their life and instead of going to god they go to Egypt, which is like the, um, the, the other solution, the, the, the solution that's the non-spiritual solution, okay? Um, like alcohol, for instance, right? That person can develop an addiction to alcohol, which maybe they've never known, they've never experienced, they never knew the, the, the pain of what it means to be truly addicted to something like that. Maybe prior to this, like we know what alcoholism is, we maybe have seen people who are alcoholic or have struggled with um, addictions to alcohol or drugs or whatnot. Um, but to actually taste it ourselves, to actually know it ourselves, only when, what? When we have completely forsaken God. And this is why he is saying, he's saying the Lord will scatter you. Like once you have reached that point of, of, of being um, determined to sin, determined to live in sin, determined after many warnings, after many attempts by God for, for, to bring them back. He says, you will be scattered, okay, and you will serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known. Like you are going to have an experience and a life that you've never considered before. And this is going to be the worst captivity, the worst thing that's ever happened, right? Don't consider, for instance, the time of the judges and say, well, God delivered us into our enemies for a few years and then we came back. He says, no. This captivity that you are going to experience is worse than anything you've ever experienced before, okay? Um, and, in, and among those nations, you will find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. It's really a very sad and, and depressing state that the people of God who were chosen by him and, and through the covenant that he gave to Abraham and through the leadership of all of the prophets that have come to this point, that they are completely being destroyed. They are completely going away from God and completely being destroyed because of the choices that they've made. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. So, here he is describing kind of the, um, the, the different ways that they have sinned, okay? And, and, and this first way that they have sinned is by forgetting God's love and mercy. He's saying, you were the people who were enslaved when you were in Egypt, 
you were slaves, okay? And this God is the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, right? So, so on the one hand, like it's not just that you are sinning, but you are sinning against the God who has shown you such great love and mercy and brought you up from slavery. How is it that you can then turn against him in this way? Don't you understand and see God's mercy and love? And this is one of the reasons that maybe people turn away from God is because they do not identify God's mercy. They look at the problems in their life and they blame God for it. Maybe it's easy for us to blame God when things don't go the way we like, but it's much harder for us to give God the credit for all of the good things that he has given and to be thankful to him for all the good things that he has given. So here the people were not looking at all at God as being a figure of love, as a figure of um, a liberator, the one who has brought them freedom from slavery or established them as a nation or giving them a s given them a society or established anything good for them or protected them from their enemies. They, they don't look at him in any way of any of the good things that he did for them. They look at him just as he is a God which is a, a restrictor of my freedom, the one who doesn't give me the desires of my heart. Uh, we want to go and to worship other gods. We want to indulge ourselves in these other things, and God is saying, no, no, we reject him. We reject him. We don't want him. So that's the first thing they did is they forgot God's acts of love and mercy. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord, their God, things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. They burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord carried away from before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. So what is it that they did? Is they forgot their identity. They forgot that they were his children, the children of God who were called to a life different than all of the other nations. The Israelites had this feeling of insecurity. They wanted always to be like the others. When they saw that the other nations had a king, they said, we want to have a king like the other nations. When the other nations had these physical idols that they would carry with them into battle, the Israelites said, we also want to have something to carry with us into battle, so we'll bring the Ark of the Covenant. That will be like for us the thing that makes us to feel the presence of God is with us, right? They always saw what the other nations did, and they said, these nations are better than us, and we want to have what they have. And so they burned incense, they made the high places, they worshipped like the other nations did, and so they found themselves completely uh, absorbed in and blending with the world, right? And in a sense, you can say God granted them their desire. Like, what was Israel at this time? Israel was a place that looked like every other nation. It, it, they worshipped like every other nation. They worshipped the same gods as the other nations. So, okay, go live with the other nations. You, you have no place here. Right? You have no place in the kingdom of God because you have chosen to leave. Right? So you can't have it both ways. You can't call yourselves the children of God while at the same time living like the rest of the world. So, right? so he says, you want to live like the rest of the world? Go and live. Go and live with the rest of the world in captivity. Right? Go and intermix with them and, and, and live with them. You have no place here because this land right, is the promised land. This is the land that God has chosen for his children and you have rejected him as your God, and so you are no longer his children. You have rejected him. Um, this is the thing that the Pharisees refused to understand in the New Testament. They consider that the mere fact that they were of the lineage of Abraham meant that they were the chosen people of God because they had the covenant, because they were circumcised, because of the keeping of the law and so on. They, they, they could not understand the concept that they were actually the rebellers, that they were the disobeyers of the law, that they were the ones who were in the eyes of God, they were, they were sinful. So um, here, this is the second reason that's given of why God is allowing them to go into captivity, because they imitated the pagan nations around them. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. So what is the third reason he gave? He said, every time I tried to warn you through the prophets that you're, you were living in a life of sin, 
that you are living and a life that is going to lead you to destruction. Uh, every opportunity I gave you to return, in the end you rejected it. So you rejected all the warnings of all the prophets that I sent to you. And this is reminds us of the parable of the wicked vine dressers that the Lord Jesus Christ gave. When he said about there was this vineyard and, and the owner of the vineyard had put these workers, these vine dressers to work there and he went away on a journey and then when the time of the harvest came, he sent his servants to go and to bring the, the, the to reap of the harvest and to give the, the master and the owner of the vineyard what was due to him. But they would kill the vine dressers who would come and he would send uh, or the servants who would come. They would kill one after the other. And then finally he said, I will send my own son. Surely they will listen to him. And then they said, no, we will kill the son and we will take this inheritance for ourselves. So the, 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 the parable that the Lord gave was about this very thing. He's saying all of the prophets that I sent to you all throughout history warning you, right? You have, you have rejected them. You have killed them. You, you have not listened to them. Um, and of course, we know that this continued all the way up until the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jews' rejection of him and his crucifixion. But here we see the, 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 the reason behind the crucifixion, the reason behind the rebellion, right, is that they consider themselves to be a nation of themselves, not wanting to be governed by God and living for themselves, wanting to do whatever it is that pleased them. And so they reject. They rejected the warnings of the prophets. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal, and they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So the fourth reason, of course, is that they disobeyed God's commandments. God was very clear in what his expectation was of his people, and he was also very clear that his commandments were for the protection of his people. They were not for the limiting of his people. They were not for the, the restricting of his people. They were for their protection. They were, they, were, they were to protect them from the consequences of sin, to protect them from the consequences, okay? And, and he made it very clear what his commandments were. He gave the, the commandments on two tablets of stone. And he said, here are the commandments. Here's, this is how I want you to live. Here are the things that are good, and here are the things that are evil. And, 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 and if, you live, if you live according to these commandments, then you will prosper. But if you do not live according to these commandments, you will suffer. And so he made it very clear to them the commandments, but from the very beginning, even from the first 40 days of when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the commandments, the moment he returned and came down the mountain again, he saw that they had already made a golden calf and were worshiping it, right? From just, just, just right there in the, in the, in the desert on Mount, in Mount Sinai, that they were worshiping the calf even before Moses could come down from the mountain again. So, so truly, Right? They were a very, what? And God called them a stubborn and obstinate people. Right? Stubborn and obstinate. They were very stubborn. They refused. Right? They refused to obey, to, to, to listen. They refused to submit their will. They refused. Right? So even though the God had a lot of patience with them over many, many years and generations, and yet in the end, there is an end to the patience of God. And this is one thing for us also to learn from this, is that God is extremely patient and merciful more than anyone, but it doesn't mean that his patience is without end. There is an end because there is a judgment. There is a time of judgment. There is a time where God says, I have given you every opportunity and now is the time for me to judge your actions. What have you done with what you have given me? Just like in the parable of the talents when uh, there was a time when the master returned and he said, show me what you have done with the talents you have given me. Or, um, or the other parable where the master goes on a journey and, and, and he places a steward in charge of his house and he comes back and he says, steward, what have you done? And he finds that he was beating the other servants and he was eating and drinking and getting drunk and doing all these things. He says, no, now is the time of judgment. I have returned. Now is the return is the time of judgment. So each of us has, of course, our time where um, is the end, of the, the end of our opportunity, right? Our death uh, is the end of our opportunity for repentance. Um, and here... 
again, we can learn spiritually from all of these stories and all the history of Israel because Israel represents the human soul, right? And all these things that we read, Israel represents the human soul. And everything that the Israelites uh, experienced is the same thing that we experience as the human soul, right? We were living in slavery to sin just as the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, right? God gave them the opportunity to, to, to be free from slavery, and he gave them a choice. He says, do you want to enter the promised land, or are you going to wander for 40 years in the desert? They chose to wander in the desert. They began the process of disobedience from the beginning, right? Even after entering the promised land, they are struggling to be obedient, and they are struggling with their addiction to sins and, and all these other um, temptations that come upon them. So here, of course, the fourth reason why this captivity is coming upon them because they rejected God's command and the covenant that he had made with their fathers. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And, and, and really, when, like when you read the entire Old Testament from Genesis and the creation and, and all the way through the story up to Jacob and his sons and the tribes and, and going to Egypt and coming out of Egypt and everything that God has done, when you read this, this like the very final statement, there was none left but the tribe of Judah alone, like it's very sad. It's very sad that the history of the people of God would end in this way, right? And again, as I said, it's a reminder to us that God's patience does not last forever. Here when it says the tribe of Judah, it means who, whoever has gone to Judah. So remember, Judah is the southern kingdom. So the Levites, for instance, they were in Judah, so they still existed. Um, also, anyone from the north who had chosen to come to the south were now considered part of Judah. There was no more distinctions between all of the tribes, right? It's pretty much just everyone is considered Judah now because everyone has gone to Judah. All the other ten tribes that were in the north, they were all wiped out. They still kept track of where they came from, right? Because like some were Benjamites, like Saul. So there was some period of time where they could keep track of that, but but like of those people who were in the south, but the majority of them, the majority of the Jewish people um, were, were wiped out. Yeah, yeah. So like if there were, for instance, Benjamites who had gone to live in Judah, then they could keep track, someone who was from their tribe could keep track, right? But the vast majority of people who were the Benjamites would have been annihilated or gone to captivity. Yeah, sorry, Benjamin and Judah were together, but the other tribes, the other tribes. So Benjamin was also part of Judah at the time. Yes. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God. So this is now the other catastrophe. Right? So Judah is seeing, like Judah, the southern kingdom, is seeing all that's happening to Israel. Right? And they see that, like, what is the consequence of sin? As we said before, Everything in the Old Testament is very explicit. You know, it's like, how do you know that God is unhappy with you? Because he says so. And because prophets say that he's unhappy. And because enemies and warriors come and kill you. Like, like everything is so explicit and clear in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, all of these things happen. But they happen in a spiritual way. They don't happen necessarily in a physical way. That's why today when people say, oh, you know, this hurricane or this natural disaster came upon these people because God is like rebuking them. No, like God, like hurricanes and natural disasters happen to everyone, right? Like it's not, it's not like there's a specific group of people and God is rebuking and saying that's why he sent such disaster upon them, right? But in the Old Testament, these kinds of things reflected God's intent and will, right? And there is a way for us to understand the way that God operates with us, even now in the New Testament, though in a different way, in the spiritual sense, right? So, for instance, there is a spiritual slavery. Like, there's a slavery not necessarily I'm a physical slave to another nation, but I can be a slave to my addictions, right? There is a sense of um, me having the favor of God or me not having the favor of God. And maybe whenever I don't have the favor of God in my life, I have no peace. Um, I have uh, a lot of conflicts with people in my relationships. I have a lot of struggles and things that I experience in my life, and I'm not happy in any way and have no joy in my life. Like, this is the consequence of a life away from God. Maybe, again, it's not armies 
of other people from other nations coming to attack me, but it is the spiritual enemies, the spiritual enemies that are coming to attack me, and that I have, as I said before, no protection, no guard from them. Okay, uh, so Judah, seeing all of this. Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked on the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel and, uh, from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. So this is a recounting of the split, the original split that happened between the north and the south. There used to be one united kingdom, but the kingdom split, and Jeroboam became the king of the north, the very first king. He's the one who introduced idol worship to Israel and was the beginning of all of this. Okay. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. So again, should be a very strong message to Judah, saying, be careful, because this could happen to you. And we know that it does happen to them. Okay? A couple hundred years later, 100, 150 years, 150 years later, it happens to them. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cuthah, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. So as I said, the policy of Assyria was to empty the land by taking its people captive and then bringing foreigners to dwell, to mix with the remnants of those people who remained in the land so to, pr to, to prevent an uprising, so weakening the loyalty um, uh, to their homeland and to submit to Assyria so that there wouldn't be a war and there wouldn't be an uprising again. And as I said, this was the beginning of what were later to be called the Samaritans, the Samaritan people. And it was so, at the beginning of their dwelling there, that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samarita, Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them. And indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let, them, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the, sh in the shrines of the high places on which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Succoth, Benoth, the men of Cuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So what is, what's happening? So they said, God, because these people, now no one is worshiping God at all in Israel. This is all now pagan and foreign. So he was sending lions, and the people said, well, because these lions are coming, it means that God is saying that there, there's no more worship of him at all, and so he's sending these lions to destroy the people. So they said, what are we going to do? The king of Assyria said, actual lions. Yeah. So the, the king of Assyria said, we need to restore the worship of God back in the land again. So he got a priest. He's not mentioned the name of this priest. but He's got a priest who was taken captive, returned him back again to Israel, and told him to reestablish the worship of God in Israel, okay? But alongside with all the other gods. So it wasn't that the worship of God was like the exclusive worship there, no. It was just one of the gods that was being worshipped. So previously it says that they didn't fear the Lord, meaning no one was worshipping God. Here when it says they feared the Lord, it doesn't mean that, like it doesn't mean like this is the true 
like you know reverence to God. Okay, but there was a group of people who had the opportunity and the option to worship God in in the in the Jewish manner. Okay, alongside all of these other gods that they were also worshiping in the land. Okay. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods, according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. Maybe this <coughs> kind of reminds us of like someone like Nebuchadnezzar, who even after believing in the God of Daniel, um, he didn't believe him to be the only God. He, he believed that he was a God. Remember, at the time, polytheism was the normal, um, and, and, and people could believe in many gods at the same time. So it was kind of like... Uh, many of the people believed that the God of Israel was a God, he was a real God, but he wasn't the exclusive God, the only God. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. One thing that is very clear about God is he says, not only am I calling you to live a certain way, but you shall worship no one else. Everyone else is wrong, right? Like everything else is wrong. This is the only thing that's right. And so I explicitly, in the Christian religion and in the Jewish religion, there is the sense of absolutism, right? It is, it, is, it is not possible for here, the Jewish faith, to, to live with, to live in compatibility with any other faith. That doesn't mean that the people can't respect each other and respect each other's beliefs. But there is no way for a person who is a Jew to agree with a person who is a pagan, that their gods could be real. Like there's no way for a Jewish person to speaking to a pagan to say to them, "Well, um, you know, it's good that you are worshiping your god," or that like I believe that your god could be real, or that you know, like like we can't like it can't be both. God, in order to obey God, one of the the very first commandments is you shall have no other gods, right? You shall have no other gods. That's commandment number one. You, can, you shall have no other gods. So it is not just God is calling people to worship him, but he's saying you shall worship me and you shall worship no one else. Okay. Um, and so that's what fundamentally set up this situation here as very problematic. Okay, Because now it is establishing a society and a culture of pluralism. Okay, Which of course is the society we have now, uh, pluralist, right? Um, but, but at no other time before this, was it really like, yes, there was a push toward it. There was people who were wanting to worship idols and so on. But here it was completely normalized, right? And that is, this is, this is, this is the, you know, became the Samaritan religion, right? Of all of these different practices. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law and the commandment, which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their, their former rituals. So these nations fear the Lord, yet served their carved images. Again, when it says fear the Lord, it means that they believed in him as a god. Okay, But that doesn't mean that they obeyed all his commandments. They serve their carved images. Also, their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. Okay. Any questions about this chapter? So as I said, that's the end of the north. Okay. So now we're going to go back to the south. This chapter begins the final section of the book of Second Kings um, where it's all focusing on what happens to Judah. Uh, and then ultimately it ends in the Babylonian captivity, the captivity of Judah. We know that Judah ultimately was also taken captive. The difference is, is that they returned after 70 years, whereas the northern kingdom never returned. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. 
He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burnt incense to it and called it Nehushtan. So if you remember, so first of all, this is the first king that it says about him that he removed the high places. What were the high places? Remember what the high places were? Now, Bethel and Dan were where the golden calves were that they were worshiping. But that's in the north. What are the high places? The high places were places up on mountains where people would go and worship and burn incense. Okay, And even all of the previous good kings that had come that ended idol worship, they never destroyed the high places. Right, So people could actually go to the high places, which is a way that the pagans would worship their gods. They would go to their high places, and they could worship God, but in the high place, which, of course, that's not what God wanted. He didn't, he didn't want that kind of worship. Right? He told them how he wanted to be worshipped, but they would use these places, which were set up for idol worship, they would use them even to worship God, and none of the other kings had destroyed them. So even it would say, if you remember all the previous kings, he said he was, you know, a king. He abolished idol worship, but he kept the high places. Here, Hezekiah, he broke the high places. Also, it reveals to us that up until this day, if you remember the bronze serpent, what is the bronze serpent that Moses had made? So during the time of the wandering in the wilderness, there was a plague came on the people, and there were serpents, there were they were they were biting the people, okay, and so God ma told Moses to make a serpent, a bronze serpent, and that whoever looks at the serpent would be saved, okay, and of course the bronze serpent is a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because because it is because he like the Lord Jesus Christ, carried the sin of the world. So the, th the thing that was a source of death for us, he carried it for us so that when we look to him, we are free from it, right? So he became sin, just like the scripture says, he became sin for us so that we could be free from sin. So just as the serpents were biting the people, when we look to him as the serpent, right, the bronze serpent, we are free from the, 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 the plague of the serpents ourselves. We are free from sin, because he took the sin on himself. So this is this is also why the bronze serpent is a symbol that is carried in the church whenever the bishop comes. Because the bishop represents Christ in the church and there's a bronze serpent that, that is carried with him. Um, so the, the Israelites had taken that bronze serpent and they were worshipping it. Okay, they were worshipping it. This goes against which commandment? Yes, you shall worship the Lord your God. But what what's the second commandment? You shall have you shall make no carved images. So this was like making an image to worship. Okay, so they were they were they were they were worshiping it. Okay, um, and they were burning incense to it. So Hezekiah destroyed that as well. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. So, Again, you see, the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. Why? Because he tried to restore the worship in Israel again to what was supposed to be. So God will protect Israel or Judah now. Judah. The, the Lord will protect Judah because of what he is doing. He was able to rebel against Assyria and he subdued the Philistines. The Philistines were, were to the um to to the west 
of Israel in different regions, he was able to conquer and subdue them. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. So this is the, the, the besieging, the third and final attack, right, that we had just talked about before, of the northern kingdom. Okay, because remember, we, we went back in time a little bit. So at this point, Hosea is still there in the north. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And they would neither hear nor do them. Okay. So again, it was the wickedness of Israel that caused them to fall, and it was the righteousness of Hezekiah that will um, allow Judah to defend itself against the Assyrian attacks. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So now Assyria is trying to attack Judah. They already conquered Israel, and they took Samaria, and now they are trying to conquer Judah. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Assyria was, always, was also asking from Judah to pay tribute. And Hezekiah was paying a tribute for a time. But then he stopped paying the tribute, right? So that's why he's, uh, Hezekiah is saying to, hear, to, to him, um, I have done wrong, meaning like I shouldn't have stopped paying the tribute to you. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. So again, as we've seen with so many other kings before him, I don't know who keeps, like how there's even anything left here. Like every, every time they, they, they give everything that's in the house of the Lord, they give it to the enemies, okay? So Hezekiah did the same thing. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rapsaris, and the Rapshikah from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to king Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool which was on the highway to the fuller's field. So this is the now the second attack. The first time they came and attacked, and what happened is Hezekiah gave them money, and they kind of retreated. Now there's a second attack. And maybe this can tell us something else about trying to make a deal with the devil, is, you know, you can buy yourself some time, but he's going to come back again. Like, you know, like maybe Hezekiah thought that he was protecting Judah by giving him this money, but all he did was delay right delay the attack which is going to come again like the only real solution right and we're going to find is the solution that comes from god the only real solution that's going to really dispel the enemy is is the solution that comes from god not our human solutions where we try to negotiate we try to give something we try to do something within our power which seems like at least for a short time has some effect but in the long run fails these three the tartan rapsaris and the rapshika these are like three prominent commanders from Assyria. They are like positions of command um, that are coming. And the Rapshika is going to be the one who's going to do most of the talking, um, trying to intimidate Hezekiah and the people. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shibna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. So these three men came out now like... Like, the Assyrians are coming, and these three commanders are representing the Assyrian army. The Rabshakeh is the one who's going to speak. From, the, from Judah's side, there's these three men, uh, Eliakim, Shibna, and Joah. Okay? They came out. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, and, and this, this conversation is being had, like, at the, at the, at the wall of Jerusalem. Okay? So... There, there are people who, who are on the wall 
that are listening to this conversation happening between these two groups. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust him. So he's saying what you have tried to get help from other nations, right? The Egyptians, okay? Again, Egypt is always a bad guy in, in the Bible. Um, you try to go to Egypt to get military help, okay? But he's saying what? Uh, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt on which if a man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it. What does that mean? Not reliable. And will actually hurt you. Like, you know, maybe if you try to lean on this staff, it'll pierce you. Like, it. maybe you, they'll even betray you. Right? So he's saying, don't put your trust right in egypt they're actually like very like this whole speech is like very intimidating they're trying to intimidate them but if you say to me we trust in the lord our god is it not he whose high places and whose altars hezekiah has taken away and said to judah and jerusalem you shall worship before this altar in jerusalem now you see what 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 the, the rapture is trying to do he's trying to turn the people of judah against hezekiah and he's saying to them, look, your king has removed all of these places of worship, the high places and the, uh, these altars and all these things. And you're saying that the Lord your God is going to help you. Why is your king removing all these things? Now, of course, um, the Rapshika didn't understand, right? Like he didn't understand that removing these altars and these high places was actually something God wanted. But he is appealing to the like if if the people are disgruntled against hezekiah for having completely transformed the nation by removing all of these places of worship that the people had relied on and used for generations right he, he's going to them and say is hezekiah actually helping you is god going to listen to you now that you've removed all of these altars and high places right so first day he made them doubt in the military help of another nation now he's making him doubt in God himself, the help of God himself and Hezekiah's commitment to God. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. So now he's doing what? He's giving them incentives. You know, he's saying, he's saying if you give in to, to me, then we will actually give you resources. How then will you repel me? Uh, how then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up with the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So now what he is doing, he's saying, God has actually told me to come and to destroy you. Like if you can imagine that, he's saying, you are God. Why? Because he knew that the attack on Israel was actually the will of God. He knew that God used the Assyrian attack on Israel to punish the Israelites, and it was actually the will of God that Assyria destroy Israel. So he is taking it as though he is now like this crusader or this, this messenger of God, and he's saying, God has, has called me to destroy you, right? And he's using that as an intimidation. And certainly if... Hezekiah hadn't come and changed the course and the direction of the way the things were going, it would have been much easier to believe like that in fact, yes, like maybe God did tell him to come and destroy us and we have nothing to, to we, we, can't, we can't defend ourselves. Like he made them doubt the, 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 not only did he make them doubt that God would help them, but he said, no, actually God is on my side against you. Very, very extreme intimidation. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah, said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Why did he say this? 
He's telling him to speak in Aramaic and not to speak in Hebrew. Hmm? This is what who understands? Well, he said, he said, this is, um, do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Who are the people who are on the wall? Remember, we said that the Assyrian army came to the wall of Jerusalem. And there are people who are living in Jerusalem, and, and, and some of them are on the wall, right? So who is it are the people who are on the wall he's talking about? Maggie, you said something. The Jewish people. So what language did the Jewish people speak? Hebrew. Yes. So the Rapshika is coming and explicitly speaking in Hebrew. Why? Because he wants to intimidate the people. Aramaic was like a language of international relations. But it wasn't a common language that the Hebrew people would know. So when they come speaking in Hebrew, okay, who is it that they're communicating really with? It's the people, the common people, right? Because they are wanting the common people to revolt against Hezekiah. And so when, when these three men, Eliakim, Shibna, and Joah, when they are hearing all of this, they're like, don't speak in Hebrew, because if you speak in Hebrew then all these people are going to hear what you're saying and they're going to be intimidated by what you have to say. That's exactly what they were trying to do. I don't know. But, but that's what they were, but that's, that's, I mean, maybe they didn't realize that that's what they were trying to do. I don't know. Um, so, so they, they, th this is, this is a situation now. Okay. So they made them doubt the military strength of the other nations. They made them doubt God's help. They told them God is actually on our side, on, on the Assyrian side. They offered them, uh, like, rewards for giving in, okay? And now they're trying to intimidate the people to revolt against Hezekiah because if the people think, well, Hezekiah is not a good king, you know, he's, he's doing everything wrong, right? He's, he didn't make good deals militarily. Um, you know, God is not listening to him. Uh, he's turning down all these great offers that they're making to us. If he gets the people to revolt against Hezekiah, then the job is already done, right? They can, they can, they can, they can conquer Jerusalem and Israel maybe without even a war, okay? But the Rapshaka said to them, "Has my master sent me to your master?" So when he says "my master," meaning the king of Assyria. Has my master sent me to your master and to, to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? So like he's saying, I'm not just speaking to you as the representatives of the king. I'm speaking to everyone because who is going to suffer? It's the people, right? He's saying they will eat and drink their own waste. Like Again, very strong words of intimidation that, that uh, telling the people like, hey, Hezekiah, you better do what they say or else we are going to suffer. Okay, so extreme threatening. Then the Rapshika stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. So he's now speaking directly to the people. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So he's saying, if, if Hezekiah is telling you that God is going to protect us and that the city is not going to be delivered into Assyria, he's lying to you. He knows that he has no way to defend, them, to, to defend you, and he is lying to you. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and a new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. 
So he is now making these promises to all the people. He says, if you listen to me, you'll come to my land. Each one of you will have your own property with vineyards and, and, and water and fig trees and, and have your own land and grain and wine, all, like all this stuff. He's like, each one of you, is, you're going to live like a king and a queen if you come and live with us in Assyria. So don't listen to what Hezekiah has to say. And this is exactly like the voice of the devil, right? This is, this is the voice of the devil. This is exactly how the devil got Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit because he told her, no, like you, you begin to put doubt in her about everything that God has promised. God doesn't have what is, you know, God, God is, is not doing what is good for you. God actually is holding out on you. He is not giving you what is good. And actually, if you eat of the fruit the way that I'm telling you, you will be like him. Right? You won't even need him anymore because you will be like God. Right? So this is the, the voice of Satan. He makes whatever our, our fear is or whatever our desire is look so great that we seek after it without hesitation, without thought, without, with, without considering, without thinking, without praying. We just want it so much that we seek after it so much and we make very poor choices. And in those choices, we destroy our lives. Right? And this is the way that, that the devil operates. He wants to consume us with our emotions. He wants us to, to, to not think things through, not to wait, not to take time, not to consider, not to get counsel, not to pray. He wants us to go after our impulses, whatever my impulse is telling me, whether it's a positive impulse like a strong desire or whether it's a negative impulse like a fear that I have, listen to it immediately. Right? Don't, don't, and, and, and don't trust whatever God has, has given you, don't trust it. Right? It's not good enough. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? So he's saying what? Like, look at all the other nations that we've conquered. Assyria. Assyria is a huge empire. Huge. Saying, look at all the other nations that we've conquered. Has any of the other gods of any of these other nations been able to stop us from conquering them? No. So what makes you think that your god is going to be the one Who's going to stop us from conquering? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sephraim and Hina and Iva? Indeed, they have delivered Samaria from my hand. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Again, intimidation. And he's using now logical arguments. He's saying, look at all the other nations, right? This is really where he's leaving them, the people. Like The only thing they're going to have left after this is faith. Like either they're going to have faith and believe that somehow God will deliver them or every other argument that's being presented is against them, right? The Assyrians are mighty. They've conquered so many nations, uh, like all these other intimidating things. The only thing that will keep them from trusting God is because they have faith in him. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, with the recorder, uh, the recorder came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rapshakah. So he went back to tell the king. The people, when it says the people had held their peace, why? Because they trusted Hezekiah. Like at, by this point, he had established himself as being a trustworthy king, a king who feared God, and they trusted that whatever Hezekiah told them to do was going to be the right thing. And they trusted that God was going to deliver them. This is actually a very powerful statement that these same people who were worshiping idols and doing all these things, that, that they so trusted King Hezekiah that even those people standing on the wall, seeing the army of the Assyrians about to conquer them and hearing the words of the Rapshakah, that they would trust. And, and they said, because the king told us, do not answer, we will not answer. Right? And so now they go to Hezekiah and Hezekiah has to decide. What is it that I'm going to do? Am I going to cave into the demands? Am I going to be afraid? Am I going to make a deal? Am I going to save myself? Right? And these are really like, this is the true test of faith now in this situation um, to see what is it that he's going to do. And God willing, we'll find out next time. So that's a cliffhanger. <laughs> Any questions? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We ask you, O Lord, for the strength of faith to be like Hezekiah and all the people who stood up against the enemy 
so that we do not give in to the, to the demands of the evil one who comes to us and whispers in our ear many enticing propositions. We ask, O God, that you do not allow us to follow our fear or our sinful desires. We ask, O Lord, that you give us strength and the ability to, to hold fast even when we are bombarded and there is an onslaught of temptations against us. We thank you, O Lord, for all the examples you've given us in the scripture of people for us to follow, that we see, O Lord, the way you work in the lives of people and how you continue to work even today and in our lives. We thank you for your mercy. We ask, O God, for your forgiveness for all the times that we stumble and all the times, O Lord, that we are led astray and misled by the words of the wicked one. Grant us, O Lord, to always know you and to always be your children forever. Through the prayers of St. Mary, or Saint, uh, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, Here's as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. <coughs> Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.